Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us on Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Appreciate that. What's your reaction to Israel making a decision to allow Americans and others to fly freely, quote-unquote, because I don't know if it's ever freely with the PCR tests, etc., that are necessary, uh, now to the state of Israel? You still have to buy a ticket also, so it's really, but uh, I think it's uh, overdue, and uh, we obviously welcome it. A lot of people feel relieved, but they're still not certain, and I think uh, by Sunday we will see that the everything will be in place, hopefully. Uh, there's still confusion, I know, with some people on, on arrival, um, but um, I, I think government came to recognize that they've reached a point where the regulations were not we're not serving a purpose, uh, the purpose intended. I don't think that a lot of the characterizations that had been made, including by people I respect a lot, about calling Israel's decisions a moral disgrace. Every country has the right, and every country has taken steps to try and protect its citizens. Nobody has a magic formula. And if it protects the lives of Israelis to keep people, to restrict entry, then it's valid. The problem is the application was, frankly, uneven and even at times corrupt, that people could buy their way in and people could uh, bypass uh, the regulations, and also that they were unevenly applied, that people who had real lifetime issues, uh, events, or crises uh, with relatives in Israel had a hard time uh, getting in. I think that, the, um, that this now, I hope, will be settled, but to talk about breaking the covenant and moral disgrace, et cetera, is is uh, unfair, and only uh, you know blackens Israel's name. I do think the government has to look into what really happened, and the process, and the people involved in the process, um, about the the sometimes really irrational decisions that were made. Uh, well, on the first thing, uh, yeah, I mean the the confusion, the bureaucracy, uh, the the uh, tension and pressure that people felt. Uh, you know, e- even those who knew that they had a right to go under the regulations, first degree relative smachot funerals, etc. E- till the last minute, you know, one was holding their breath, hoping right. it would actually happen. Uh, Israel, for decades, as you know, was known for. Uh, it's uh, fashionable bureaucracy, maybe a little less so in recent years, but uh, this certainly uh, brought back that reputation, I think. Uh, on the other point, is uh, with with, with uh, moral decisions, etc., uh, I, I think that there has to be at least an acknowledgement of the frustration that people felt being shut out of Israel, and that essentially it being a you know a, a, an almost blanket statement made on more than one occasion by the government of Israel, and on top of that. I think there's a great concern about what this in general is going to do with the relationship between diaspora jury and our heritage and tradition. See, when it comes to other countries, I don't think people think that there's a, a need to, to visit there, you know, to the degree that there is a need for young people and others to visit Israel, because it is so vital in terms of the, the energy that one gets in regard to their own tradition and heritage. So... I, I think those statements, some of them you might be right, are a little irresponsible, but I think they needed to be made because I think every Jew around the world needs to remember that with this terrible divide that we've been suffering from, Israel is so essential to diaspora Jewry around the world. 
uh, I, I think that the, I mean, you're characterizing it. I, I can't even remember how you started anymore. But but the the, the fact is that the people will, will now. There's a lot of pent up demand. I don't think that people care less about Israel because of it. That for many who took Israel for granted, who would go many times a year, now will appreciate much more the ability to go to Israel and realize how important Israel is in our lives and how central it is and the inability to come and visit Yerushalayim. I agree that the, and I stated about the application and about the, the complications, but the, the fact that this should, should sever the relationship for those who wanted an excuse and for those who were, who were looking for something. But on the other hand, the, the fact is that the Masa trips and some of these other birthright trips, others were going on for, for much, of, much of this time, and, the, um, and that I think you will see a surge in visitors coming once, uh, once the borders are open and, and there's a clear policy um, of people with the pent-up demand and, and really desire, and maybe it'll wake people up, too, to how important Israel is in our lives, and then we not take it for granted. Okay, I hope you're right. Aside from the um, uh, the news about uh, red countries turning non-red and, uh, mm-hmm. Amer- and Americans, for instance, being able to travel, there's now, I, 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 I don't know, is it a regulation, a suggestion? Uh, what is the fourth vaccine for people over 60 now in Israel? Is it a must? Must everyone over 60 take it? How's that working? It's, it, well, they're applying, they're making it available to people over 60, and a lot are taking advantage of it. And whether they will mandate it for everybody, I think, is unclear right now. That is not it is not mandatory, but it shows that a five-fold increase in protective uh, antibodies, I guess they're called, um, uh, from people who took the fourth shot. There are people who still don't want to take the first shot, let alone the second, third, and and now the fourth. So, uh, you know, especially for older people who are the most vulnerable, and others have vulnerabilities, they are recommending strongly that they get it, and they've made it available. I uh, I wonder what happens when the next variant, God forbid, mm-hmm. shows up. I mean, yeah, it, the question, it, right? I mean, how will the United States handle it? How will Israel? Handle, how will every country handle it? Because after two years of this, I just don't know if a if another variant is going. If God forbid, it even suggests that there should be a complete lockdown. I don't know how anyone's going to survive at this point. Um, and I guess the experience of the last two years will assist governments in judging how to deal with the next variant. I don't know if Israel would have made this decision this week as quickly as they did if not for this two years of experience where basically they're admitting that really nobody knows exactly how this thing is going to go. And the fact that this variant did not produce the ICU occupation right. and uh severity that uh, Delta did, and nobody knows whether Delta will come back, whether this will be cyclical and like the flu, which is now hitting people very hard, and I think a lot of the uh, numbers you see about hospitalization has to do with the flu as much as it does with the uh, corona, uh, that, uh, as you said, it's unpredictable. Nobody has experience uh, with this. They try to learn from one country from another, uh, but there was a point to to trying to isolate people. There were, there were points about wearing masks. Everything is subject to debate. Everybody has an opinion on it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when the governments try to impose rules, you see the resistance. You see it in, in the United States how strong it is. Uh, speaking of viruses, what do you know about this bird virus going around Israel? And is it going to affect availability of food? And will it affect the um, 
um, uh, the economy of Israel because such, you know basic items are going to be affected? Um, burden of my focus, but the, <laughs> this is a crisis. Sometimes bird brains, but uh, this is a crisis in in the fact that they had to call a huge number of birds. Yeah. Uh, it's also the migratory patterns of birds that. You know, Israel is a waypost for the transmigration of birds from Africa, and uh, th- this can be transmitted, they said, to human beings. Oh, so Israel is, again, taking drastic measures and dramatic measures uh, to prevent and to, to <laughs> avoid. And frank- frankly, if perhaps other countries had done this early on with um, with uh, this virus, with the COVID, that maybe would have been diminished in severity. But it's a prophylactic mess- uh, uh, measures, which are very costly and will raise the price uh, of um, chicken, particularly, but also other things. Uh, uh, ultimately, uh, and hopefully, the government will help uh, subsidize some of the farmers who, for whom loss is catastrophic if it's not one thing it's another huh exactly every day more and more things and more and more challenges what do you know about this helicopter military crash in israel well the most regrettable part is that two amazing young men were killed and uh, one miraculously survived walked away tried to help the others out but couldn't Um, it looks like it was an engine fire It, it was not hostile action as far as we know now and um it's just a reminder about the people who are putting their lives on the line every day to protect the state of Israel. Yeah, that's for sure. By the way, I wanted to mention back to the vaccine for a moment, not to minimize the story about the helicopter crash. And you're right, we always seem to lose our best uh, in these things. But back to the vaccine for a moment, there there is a... Um, um, uh, I mean, you've warned us about this, about people uh, out there who get the attention of the media who are trying to blame whether it is the vaccine or the actual uh, virus uh, on Jews, the link between the vaccine and anti-Semitism. And I think I just need you to reiterate that that continues to happen. It not only continues to happen, we saw some high-profile case, uh, the high-tech executive, and uh, he he lost his job as both as chairman of the company and as uh, director of the company. Um... He is, uh, you know, and, and then he doesn't back off. It has to be a case of mental illness. Uh, but the, the fact is that we're seeing posters going around showing that this is from the Guyam Defense League, they call themselves, or for other groups, where they're trying to make links and show that people who are involved in the process, like heads of uh, certain pharmaceutical companies, are Jewish, which has nothing to do with the, the reality, but they are latching onto it. So... There, there, there is that extensive work done um, by uh, NCRI about, uh, the, and I think for Walmart and for others, uh, to show them that they could predict where, where there was likely this resistance to vaccination and the, and the hostile reaction. And it's, uh, there are patterns to this that are very disturbing, and people will latch on to any excuse. And the fact is that, that people believe it. People, uh, uh, there are always a percentage of people who are ready to accept any anti-Semitic or uh, racist or other um, tropes that, that people invent. The problem with this is that uh, we're seeing it manifest in various places, not huge numbers, but significant enough to be of concern. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and the Nachum Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app.
I've been asked to ask you about um, uh, about yesterday and uh, really from the perspective of the Jewish community because you've warned us that um, as the political divide continues to get more serious and the rhetoric uh, really amps up on both sides unfortunately for the Jewish community history tells us that we're not really we're not really safe on either side of the issue uh, as you saw yesterday the the heated uh, discussion on both sides of the aisle so to speak regarding the January 6th anniversary um, uh, can I can I uh, assume that you're concerned about the uh, Jewish community going forward if this type of atmosphere continues? I'm concerned, and I've, you know, talked on the show for many years about the lessons we learned from Europe about the loss of the political center, about the political divisiveness that we saw evidence there, and that this eventually makes its way to America, and we're seeing it now. And and Jews need stable political systems. We need the rule of uh, uh, law and order. And we want society as a whole to be, you know, to to address uh, those who violate the standards of justice uh, without the the, uh, extremes, both left and right, that we see operative today. And the the vituperative debates and the personal accusations uh, are not beneficial to the United States. It also puts us in a very bad light abroad at a time when, uh, you know, confidence in America is is waning, they tell us, and, and you see it manifest in events in the Middle East in particular uh, these days, and the reaction of countries who take certain measures, in part because they don't know where the political future lies or what will be happening. So people have to understand that, that the world is looking at these things, and it has an impact on on America, and when the, our attention is diverted from some of the vital concerns, I mean, we haven't even talked about Iran yet. We haven't talked right. about the developments in Yemen or Jordan or or um, uh, Lebanon. Uh, that the and the attacks in Gaza, you know, attention gets diverted to to this sideshow. No question about it. Um... Well, let's start with some of those uh, issues on the Syrian border this week. There was uh, some type of activity where Israel was suspecting that uh, there was some type of infiltration. What happened up there? Yeah, that that wasn't uh, significant. That was somebody that uh, wandered up. They fired some warning shots, and the person, whatever it was, left. Um, But there are ongoing attempts to penetrate from the north, both from the Syrian border, from uh, primarily, but also from Lebanon, and periodically they fire a missile or something. But more importantly, is the buildup, and Israel is taking measures to not to allow any presence to be established there. And we know the militias, backed by Iran as well as Hezbollah, are continuously trying to establish themselves, often you know, under the guise of wearing Syrian army uniforms. Wow to get as close to the Golan where they would like to do like a a, a, uh, a raid, a lightning raid, where they can kidnap some people, some soldiers, or attack a community and try to get back. Uh, this is w- w- one of their goals, and I think the uh, that's why any kind of penetration or, or sign of it is taken very seriously. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> and when you say Lebanon specifically, these are attempts to infiltrate Israel, or... Uh, you're, you're referring to what's happening inside Lebanon itself. What's going on up there? Well, both. I think uh, that's actually a good question because the, they're related to to um, uh, to both aspects. The internal situation there is deteriorated, and over the last few weeks, we haven't uh, really discussed it. But it's it's um, 
it's very serious. The economic collapse, the political rivalries, even Aoun, the head of the Christians who was aligned with the Hezbollah, has now sort of broken or at least challenged Hezbollah publicly. And they, uh, there is ongoing tension within the country. There were huge demonstrations. Uh, the divides are several. And as you know, the, the country has a, a mandatory division in the cabinet, in the, in the Constitution between Christians and Muslims. But now the dominant factor is really, um, is really Hezbollah, which remains uh, in effect and in force there. And it's something of great concern to everybody who cares about what will happen there in, in the future. The, the, uh, you know, the, the buildup of their capacity in, in, in having 150,000 missiles and um, constantly trying to bring in new weapons. That's why Israel struck at Latakia. Uh, but they struck from the Mediterranean because you also have Russian resources there, uh, both the uh, naval base, air force base in that area. But we see the efforts to establish um, a more permanent presence. We know that they're trying to take over an air force base, an old air force base, um, south of Damascus, uh, by uh, with uh, facilities being built up to be able to house Iranian drones which can be flown then against Israel and protected from raids because they are underground. Uh, the uh, shipment that Israel detected, obviously, and, and was eliminated in the warehouses just on, as they had uh, been unloaded uh, for distribution both to, Hamas, to, to Hezbollah in Lebanon and to forces in Syria. Also, the presence, the increasing presence of, uh, of, of Hamas in uh, in Lebanon, and that could be a challenge to Hezbollah or something that they, you know, that they can have as somebody else to blame for for whatever takes place. Yeah, I always thought there was understanding that they stay out of Lebanon and let Hezbollah keep the country. There, yeah, they they there was an understanding that they they <laughs> would be busy in uh, in the south, but it could be that Iran wants to put pressure on and therefore have an alternative vehicle there. To uh, carry out some some attacks, if they think that Hezbollah is too timid, uh, Hezbollah obviously is trying to operate as much as possible from uh, from Syria and build up its its capacity. They do not want a war. Lebanon, the economy is in collapse. The the currency is collapsed. The, there's a lot of the demonstrations, and many of them are are really huge demonstrations uh, against the government and against uh, against Hezbollah. You know, it's funny because to so many of us, we think Hezbollah and Hamas are essentially the same thing, but uh, Iran, it's completely different, right? It, it, they are two different groups. They they um, operate with their own leadership. They try to cooperate uh, where possible. Um, they they share some resources, but but they operate completely independently. You know, we also found the the reports this week that Hezbollah has two thousand drones. This is part of the Iran's UAV. Uh, fleet and an army, um, and they can operate, you know, in, in a large range, maybe up to 2,000 uh, kilometers. And you think of these things also being in Venezuela and other places, which represents the direct threat to the U.S. And by the way, as you just mentioned, in the new election in Chile of a very hostile president replacing a very positive president. This is the third leftist, extreme leftist, to win an election in South America just in recent days, and we have more elections coming in Colombia and Brazil. 
we're very pro-Israel and pro-Jewish uh, can, uh, current incumbents uh, are likely to be replaced by uh, very different uh, successors. Uh, and remembering Iran's investment in South America, um, they even have made independent manufacturing capabilities. Well, the same thing exists in Lebanon. And you think of uh, the ability then to uh, have multiple strike capacities if they ever decide to, to use them. Yeah, and I think every week, there's a period of time where every week you'd be mentioning the connection between Iran and South America. And um, we haven't heard about it in a while, but their influence there can't be minimized. Right. Um, the um, and then you mentioned you mentioned Jordan and Yemen. Where what, what's happening in both Jordan and Yemen? Okay, so Jordan is a more positive story. We saw the meeting between um, Defense Minister Gantz and the King, and this is one of a series of meetings that have been held. So the relationship seems to have improved with the new government. Uh, there were tensions with uh, Netanyahu, although Netanyahu really went, went way out on the limb for, for uh, Jordan uh, on several occasions, some of which I, I had witnessed my, uh, myself. So in Yemen, uh, we had the seizure of another ship by the Houthis on the high seas, uh, in the Red Sea, and... Um, they claim that this is part of their right uh, to engage in it, but it's part of the naval conflict that is going on. And they said that it was a lesson for, for Israel. And um, But the Houthis remain and are still getting weapons, and there's been interdiction of several ships over the last few weeks uh, trying to uh, counter the ongoing trade and uh, weapons shipments that are going to the to the Houthis. The battle in Yemen is, ha, has not gotten the attention that it deserves because the UAE, Saudi Arabia, others are still involved to greater or lesser degrees. And the the support they get and the uh, they make blanket anti-Semitic statements, including cursing the Jews, as they did just in the last couple of days. And the ship that uh, was an Emirati ship in the UAE, uh, which was seized, and they said they have secret weapons and secret ways of doing it. The real danger, again, uh, that we should be looking at is their drone capacity, where they they have drones that can fly from Yemen to Israel, and they carry weapons. And so the... um, the Houthis uh, are not to be dismissed, and the conflict in Yemen, uh, you have the Bab al-Mandab, which is one of the most critical points on the Red Sea and on shipping, where 60% of the oil going to the west, uh, between there and the Straits of Hormuz, they can um, uh, choke the shipments of the west, and the U.S. has had patrols, the U.S. has seized some ships as well, uh, carrying weapons. Uh, the, the, um, this comes in the context also of the Iran's uh, attempt to launch a new missile into orbit. It failed to go into orbit. It had three research pods. But the real point of these exercises is to test their ballistic missile capacity. And they're not allowed to build it. It's a violation of both U.N. resolutions and of the JCPOA. And they're supposed to have not done any of this for eight years uh, in terms of the ballistic missiles. And they're doing it, but they're doing it in the guise of the space program. The space program is almost non-existent. The missiles, the the satellites they're putting up are, are virtually useless. Whether these research pods would have meant anything had they actually gone into orbit or not, can't say, but the... Um, uh, you see how Iran is constantly advancing its capacities in, in enrichment, et cetera, and it's uh, and 
the Houthis are one of their major allies. It is remarkable that the good guys are able to survive in that area of the world, I'll tell you. You have, to th- you have to thank God every single day because without him, I don't know if we'd be able to uh, get through all this. By the way, speaking of which, what's, all, what's with all the social media posts that talk about the destruction of Israel and threatening that, you know, we have this set up here and there and drones are going to be going here and there and if you, you know, and just be prepared. I mean, I'm sure you've seen them. I mean, I, you know, there's only, there's only a certain degree to which they can be taken seriously, I would assume. How does Israel deal with all these social media posts that seem to be coming out of Iran? Well, they, they take seriously the threat of Iran, and that's, that's why I mentioned and talked about their capacities with, with UAVs, which people, you know, talk about drones as uh, toys and, you know, that they uh, take they don't realize the degree to which they have upgraded their capacity for carrying weapons and, and payloads and, and their distribution of them. They're establishing manufacturing places in South America and in, in uh, uh, Lebanon to produce their own UAVs based on the Iranian models. So, yes, this is a, it's a very serious developments in terms of uh, their capacity to, to um, disrupt life in the, in the region. And it's not just against Israel, it's against Saudi Arabia, against the UAE, against others, anybody that they are uh, opposed to. And uh, you, you see that they continue to export oil illegally. We see that they're um, how the celebrations of the Suleimani assassination two years ago were used as a pretext for vicious anti-Israel manifestations, anti-American manifestations, threats to kill Pompeo and Trump, uh, and now there's 127 people that they're looking for internationally. And I will tell you that the threats are taken seriously. Pompeo has a security guard around him. And the the um, the most interesting thing to me was that the destruction of a statue that was just put up this week in honor of of Suleimani, and it was burnt by uh, demonstrators that night. The uh, and the events inside the country are 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 being totally ignored. The hunger, the fact that that sixty percent under a drought, twenty million people moved to the cities, that the uh, economic conditions have deteriorated so r- rapidly, and the vulnerability of Iran because of it, and yet you don't see uh, attention paid um, to it. They continue to back their militias. They continue to provide and uh, the weapons to to them. I think there are thirty six militias in Syria, and. The, the, this is at the expense of the people. You know that they have, that Iran launched a Spanish TV station. I mentioned it maybe a year ago or more, but I just checked this week that it's actually broadcasting. It's part of their efforts in South America and to other Spanish-speaking audiences, but they, they have broadcast in, in numerous languages, and you know a lot of it occupies itself with Israel and crosses the line into blatant anti-Semitism. Uh, so uh, Iran um, gets overshadowed. The talks in Vienna don't seem to be going uh, anywhere. Uh, we have to ramp up the sanctions. They, we can cut off some of these uh, oil exports. What they do is they go at night. They unload small amounts onto non-registered ships or foreign registered ships uh, off the coast. They do like three, four nights to fill up the ship, and then they go off and they turn off their transponders so they can't be traced. And by that, they're exporting huge amounts of, of oil still. And that money funds both the IRGC and the Supreme Leader's operations and uh, and their attacks. On the prior point, um, 
It's not a foreign concept to us to see the media ignore certain things, especially when it has to do with uh, a certain political bent. So I guess it shouldn't be a surprise for anybody uh, to know that if demonstrations are going on in the country like Iran against the government, uh, that they're just being ignored by the media. And I'm not talking about our media right now. I'm talking about, you know, obviously you're referring to Iranian media and stuff coming out of the Middle East. I, I assume, you know, media outlets that are controlled by the government, essentially. Uh, just as, as I said, it's not a foreign concept to us here because a lot of things that we uh, would assume a, uh, a centralized media would not ignore uh, are being ignored. Uh, finally, um, it's been a couple of weeks since we asked you about Putin and uh, the Ukraine. What do you think of the buildup on that border? Well, they removed several of the troops. I think uh, a strong stand by the West has uh, perhaps um, delayed, but it, I think the original intent wasn't to take an action until February. So we will have to see. It's, it's certainly um, one of the situations which, again, people get tired of after the first two, three days, weeks, uh, certainly after a month or so. And we, we hardly see the coverage that the day of the fact that you got tens and tens of thousands of Russian troops still seeing, seeing on the border uh, of the Ukraine. And Russia's cert- making certain demands, and they want uh, certain actions taken by the U.S. and reducing our commitments and and presence there. It's really an uh, anti-NATO expansion move in in large part, but also has popular support within the the country. And and as you mentioned it, I just want to say a, a proof of your point in how little attention is given to the riots in, in Kazakhstan. Uh, people don't know where it is, but it's a vital country. It's a country that has had Jews for 2,500 years, took in 250,000 Jews during the war, maybe more. Um, I visited there, and we brought, in fact, a safer tour there and danced in the streets in Almaty, which is the largest city and was the capital at the time until it built uh, Astana, the new capital. Um, but this is a, a country that is uh, pro-West um, and is going through really challenging uh, times. The the former leader, Nazarbayev, it seems a lot of demonstrations were attacking him and talking about rights and, and other things, but an unstable Kazakhstan would have broad ramifications, and yet it gets almost no attention. Yeah. <clears throat> like so many other important things. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak, please God, again next week. God willing. Malcolm Good Shabbos. Hon- thank you. Good Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the a.m.